I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, on this day we ask as we celebrate your part in the salvation of mankind, as we illuminate your coming and empowering us to follow God and know his love, I ask for an outpouring of yourself. We need you as never before. We're lost without you and are at risk of being a social club, which we will be if you withdraw from us at all. Lead us today, I pray. So will you open your Bibles or your cell phones <laughs> or follow on the screen? But, you know, we're given Bibles to give to you. You can use them here and put them back, or you can take them home. That's what they're there for. So we'd be good, and it's good to know where in the Word of God we're reading. I'm going to start in Acts 1, verses 4 through 5. And um, I think it's up there. Good. And while staying with them, Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In the King James, New King James Ver Version, in Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, And in the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost, in other words, this day was a fulfillment of something, and it was celebrated by the Jews. Okay? In the fulfilling of the day of Pentecost, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, a sound came out of heaven as borne along by the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And tongues of fire appeared to them, being distributed, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Rose petals in Italy all over the place, trumpets all over France, flowers and wreaths in all parts of the countries in Europe. All over the world, people celebrate Pentecost Sunday which is we're going to celebrate here today. In some places, they pray all night for the manifest presence to be so real in the morning that they will experience and know the touch of God. We know that. You know what a privilege that is, to know the touch of the presence of the Lord. A funny thing in my reading, I, I read where um, there was a time in the history of the church where they literally drilled holes in the church and they would drop down doves, and then they, sometimes they drop down pieces of straw that were on fire. <laughs> Not a good idea, but that's, that's my right. <laughs> Just to, to make people remember what happened on that day, okay? So my question, how important is the coming of the Holy Spirit whose explosion into the human experience we're celebrating? It was an explosion. It was Amazing what happened on that day. He's been around for a long time, the Holy Spirit. So we're celebrating what? What's this? Right, right from the get-go in Genesis 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So he was there. And throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, we know. If, if you read it, you know. He was around. He was part of what was going on. In Genesis 41, 38, And Pharaoh said to his servants, 
Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? This was a non-Jewish Pharaoh who's noticed. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and as wise as you are. This was somewhat outside. Notice that the spirit of God was in this man. In Judges 6.34, it says, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizurites were called out to follow him. The Amplified Bible um, says it this way, the Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon, and Gideon was the smallest and the weakest of his whole family, the least in his clan, but clothed with the, clothed with the Holy Spirit, he was a mighty man of God. And one of the things that made him a mighty man of God was that he listened to God and did what he said even though it didn't line up with what he thought. I mean, he was being sent out to, to conquer a mighty army, several of them. And God began to just whittle that away at the men that he thought he needed and take more away and take more away until he was down to a small number. And he obeyed that. He didn't go, how can that be, and disobey God? He obeyed that. It's important to know that we can obey God even when it seems like it doesn't line up with what, the way we would do it. In Exodus uh, 31, 3, God is speaking of Aaron, Moses' brother. And he says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Are there any artists in here? Where's the Miller girl? <laughs> Asli, she's so good. Um, how about woodworkers, people who work with wood? Got any woodworkers here? Absolutely. How, how many work on crafts of any kind? Or drafting, or design, or engineering? We could go on and on. Exodus 31, 4 and 5 says, to devise artistic designs. This is what he, he did with um, Aaron. Okay? To devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. Did you ever consider that the Holy Spirit gave you the gifts to do the things that you do? Painting, drawing, woodwork, all those things. In the New Testament, we're also familiar with, with the work of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 3.16, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, him being Jesus. Matthew 12, 28 says, but if by the Spirit of God, this is Jesus speaking, if by the Spirit of God, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Something to think about, the connection between the coming of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the kingdom of God in our midst. So that being so, what is the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit at at Pentecost, since he's been around, right? So I'm going to let Pastor Dick come up, and we're kind of doing this together. So this is different, but he'll give you his part. So the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, Shavuot in Hebrew. And we find the origins of that in Leviticus 23. And I'm reading from the message version. Uh, these are the appointed feasts of God, the sacred assemblies which you are to announce 
at the time set for them. First, God's Passover, beginning at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. God's Feast of Unraised Bread on the 15th day of this same month. You are to eat unraised bread for seven days. Hold a sacred assembly on the first day and don't do any regular work. Offer five fire gifts. You like that, Billy? Fire gifts. All right, thank you. Offer fire gifts to God for seven days. On the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly. And again, don't do any regular work. God spoke to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, when you arrive at the land that I am giving you and reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheave of the first grain that you harvest. He will wave the sheave before God for an acceptance on your behalf. On the morning after the Sabbath, the priest will wave it. On the same day that you wave the sheaf, offer a year-old male lamb without defect for a whole burnt offering to God. And with it, the grain offering of four quarts of fine flour mixed with oil, a fire gift to God, a pleasing fragrance, and also a drink offering, a quart of wine. Don't eat any bread or roasted or fresh grain until you have presented this offering to your God. This is a perpetual decree for all your generations to come. Wherever you live, count seven full weeks from the morning after the Sabbath when you brought the sheave as a wave offering, 50 days until the morning of the seventh Sabbath. Then present a new grain offering to God. Bring from wherever you are, from wherever you are living, two loaves of bread made from four quarts of fine flour and baked with yeast as a wave offering of the first ripe grain of God. That's the Caleb bread, which they have at, in the Shabbat meal uh, every Friday evening. Right? So. Yeah, we're going to eat that. That's not not going to stay in the not going to stay in the wrapper too long. So Martha and I have some uh, close friends who live in Israel at a place called Mel Adamin. It's uh, located on the backside of the Mount of Olives, just south of Jerusalem. And whenever we are in Israel on our own or with just Katrina, they'll shuffle their kids around and provide us with a place to stay for free. Their son, Natanel, uh, is a wonderful artist. I personally think he is world class. And we will often get to watch him work. When I was staying with them a few years ago, he started and finished this particular piece that you see there while I was there. He started working on it the evening I arrived at his home and finished it before I left. So I got to witness the whole process. The first day's work was in pencil, and it looked like a series of vertical lines and horizontal squiggles. And I had no clue as to what he was seeing. But as the week progressed and the lines and squiggles began to fill out and take form and shape, I could begin to see a shadow of what was to come and begin to understand, uh, although without color, shadow, or depth of field, what the artist had in mind. When the painting was done, I was not surprised by what it portrayed as much as by the beauty, vibrancy, and impact of the artist's imagery. I think it's a stunning piece. Uh, that thing stands six foot tall. 
eight foot wide. Okay, so it's not a little eight and a half by 11. <laughs> Amazing piece of work. The Old Testament feasts of Israel are of similar design. They are type and shadow of what was to come. God's pencil sketch, a rough draft of his masterpiece. For centuries, the people of God acted out in sketchpad form through the keeping of the feast until the form of what was to come began to take shape in their minds and hearts, and they knew what to expect but could not anticipate the depth of field required to portray the passion of Christ. So let's look at the sketch pad. It starts with Passover. As God is about to deliver the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he uses a series of plagues to break down Pharaoh's resistance. The final plague is the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. That included cattle, animals, everything. But God also provides an escape from death. If you sacrifice a lamb and apply its blood to the doorpost and lintel of your home, the death angel will see the blood of the lamb and death will pass over your home. This was ordained of God to be a perpetual feast to be kept by the Israelites as a remembrance of what God did in Egypt. The rest of the feasts were added for when they entered into the promised land and into newness of life. Now here's a brief explanation of the rough sketch of the feast of Passover, first fruits, and Pentecost, as explained by Dr. Thomas McCall, the senior theologian of Zola Levitt Ministries. He holds a master's degree in Old Testament studies and a doctorate in Semitic languages. Here's the quote. For believers in Jesus the Messiah... The dating of Pentecost is one of the most exquisite examples of type and fulfillment in the scriptures. Pentecost means 50 and is actually 50 days from another feast, first fruits. These calculations are explained in Leviticus 23, 10 and 11, and 15 and 17. The feast of first fruits was to occur on the day after the Sabbath, which was always the Sunday of Passover week. Pentecost, then, was the day after the seventh following Sabbath, which would be 50, the 50th day after the first fruits, and also on a Sunday. The fulfillment of these feasts is striking. Jesus died the Friday of Passover week and had to be buried hastily before sunset, which was when the Sabbath began. His body remained in the borrowed sepulcher throughout the Sabbath day, but on that Sunday morning when the priest was to offer the first fruits offering in the temple, Christ arose from the dead, the first fruits of them that slept. For forty ensuing days, the Lord appeared to his disciples in his resurrection body and then ascended into heaven. Ten days later, the Sunday of the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers in Jerusalem and created the Ecclesia, the called-out body of Christ, the church. These fulfillments were obviously no coincidence, but were part of the overall plan and purpose of God in verifying the powerful meaning of the death and resurrection of Christ and the establishment of the new body of believers. From then on, the Jewish believers in Christ must have repeatedly informed the people of Israel about the nature of the fulfillment of Passover, 
first fruits in Pentecost. It must have made a great impact on the Jewish people who lived between the resurrection of Christ and the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, a span of about 40 years, end of quote. In other words, they were familiar with the canvas. They had played out the rough draft so often that they knew all the vertical lines and horizontal squiggles of this one-dimensional religious portrait that they had played out year after year until the kingdom of God broke in and the fullness of time came and God began to add color and depth to his picture. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that he might receive, we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. As John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's the Passover preparation. And in 33 AD, in preparation for the Feast of Passover, he becomes the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, sacrificed on a cross on Calvary, and his blood is applied to both Jew and Gentile. He is planted like a seed in the ground, and death comes, but it cannot hold him. And on the third day, as the high priest of the temple prepares a wave offering of the first fruits of the new grain, Jesus emerges from the tomb. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 explains it this way. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Then 50 days later, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, this root out of dry ground, now the true vine brings forth fruit after its own kind, and the church is birthed, the canvas completed by blood and wind and fire. And no Jew worth his salt would have missed what God had done. Just look at the immediate growth of the church in the early chapters of Acts, and it's all among the Jews at this time. Just for an example, Acts 6-7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why? Because they recognized the artwork of God. Thank you, Dick. I want to read you a quote from some of the studying that I did for this, and I call it the divine dance. Phil, Stripe, Phil Strout calls it that also, the divine dance. In Judaism, the Jewish faith, heaven and earth overlap in the temple. But now, according to Luke, Jesus is the one who has taken earth in his own human body right into heaven. And the spirit is the result of this. The life of heaven being manifest and powerful here on earth. The kingdom of God has come. Heaven and earth are thus locked together in a firm, unbreakable, Trinitarian embrace. As God the Father welcomes the human son, the first fruits of the new creation, even as the passage just read, into his rightful seat as Lord of the world. 
and he pours out his own spirit upon Jesus' followers so that they can be and accomplish new creation in themselves and in the world and in us. Jesus spoke these words to us in John 16, 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Holy Spirit. I will send Holy Spirit to you. John 14, 16 through 9 says, and this is Jesus speaking again, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. Pretty astounding what he had to say. The Jews whom the Spirit came on to on Pentecost Sunday, there were vibrant, praying, astonished men and women. There were 3,000 Jews that came to the Lord that day. It wasn't just that 120. 3,000, it says, that came to Christ on that Pentecost. Um, they were there by divine appointment. They had been primed by the circumstances, by the way they lived, by the feasts they observed. <coughs> and they were devoted to God, faithful to him, and knowing uh, um, what the prophets had told them. They knew. They were looking for. They were expecting. They'd heard all these things for years and years. They were waiting for this. They were like the five wise virgins Jesus spoke of in his parables. They were ready for what God did. And now we're faced with the same challenge. Jesus is coming back. Everybody know that or at least are aware that that's going to happen? Uh, we will. I'm, I'm pronouncing this. Not ask, we will, full of the Spirit, empowered by his indwelling presence, be ready for his return. Okay? Or we'll be caught up in the things of the world, empty of God, and not recognize when he comes. But I believe we'll be ready. I'd rather speak what I believe, you know, will hold in your hearts. It, and, you know, the Holy Spirit will call the world to account through us. That's a tough thing to hear. But through our speaking, through our common life, through our witnessing life, through our own struggles for holiness and unity, and through our refusal to obey the rules when they tell us to disobey God, all those things together, it's going to call the world to account, the Holy Spirit in us. Oswald Chambers, how many of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers? Amazing man of God. This is one of the things he says. It is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit that changes people. It is the power of the ascended Christ coming into our lives through the Holy Spirit, not an experience apart from Jesus. Not an experience apart from Jesus Christ. He is the evidence of the ascended Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Just, just says it just perfectly in my book. Well, that same spirit is here today. A a anybody been touched by the spirit today? <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he wants to come and be with you and to be in you. He wants to lead you into all truth 
so you can experience and manifest the king and his kingdom here and now while we live on the earth. So I'm going to invite Pastor Dick to come back up. And I'd like you all to stand, if you would, please.